Welcome, this is the Trial Advocates Playbook and I'm Craig McKenzie. This is a continuation of my interview with Mr Michael Walkind QC. Enjoy. Now there's, I mean the, the, the criminal justice system at the moment, there's, there's been somewhat over the past few years an exodus of, of young barristers young solicitors a lot of which have, have gone to the from defense to cps or gone to do something completely different because of um the difficulties in funding and what's been going on would you advise what would you advise anyone um wishing to pursue a career in criminal law it's so so tough i fell into it by chance i'd love to say to anyone now if they came and saw me, saw other advocates, of course, and they felt it was exciting and they felt they could do it, then go for it, hard though it would be at the start. I fell into it. I had no connection with criminal law. I did a planning pupillage and I did family law. My first opponent was a a nice young lady called Cherie Booth or Cherie Blair. I wonder what happened to her. She was was charming, (laughs) but funnily enough, the names of our clients... My husband, her wife, were crook. And whether by chance meeting crooks led me into criminal, <laughs> I don't know. But they were fighting with each other. And it was sort of like crime. And I got a feel for it. And it's very exciting. But there are other things alongside yeah. that. Um, I suppose I can mention compassion and charisma. Charisma... I guess if it's not natural, you can go and steal some. But compassion, you've got no excuse if you don't have compassion. So every murder case I did in the old days, well before prosecution counsel were instructed to speak to the family of the victim, well before they had liaison officers, I always spoke to the family of the deceased. It's got nothing to do with my job, but just as a human being, and I went on to become a bereavement counsellor, it's an area that's always interested me, but I always spoke to them, and every one of them said to me, you're the first person who's spoken to us, and every one of them accepted my approach, because however hard I was in cross-examining important witnesses to their cause, if I may call it that, they knew it wasn't gratuitous, Mm -hmm. what I did wasn't gratuitous, they can quickly tell if someone in cross-examination is just doing it either for themselves or just being inappropriate. So you have have an opportunity in criminal law to meet people, meet people with amazing stories. Really, did you know, Craig, that there was one occasion where a jury refused to convict someone who pleaded guilty? Did you know that? No, um, I do vaguely remember reading something, but was that one of your cases? It was, in many ways, an ordinary sort of case. I didn't have high expectations of it, yeah. but it was a very sad case where a boy who'd been bullied by some local thug carried a knife for a few days, yeah. and his brother on the balcony outside the family home said that that man was downstairs looking for him, and my client drew his knife from his pocket and it stabbed his brother. He killed his brother and the prosecution case was that in his frustration to get at the 
man who'd attacked him a yeah. few days earlier. He'd waved the knife at his brother and killed him. And they were happy after we'd done a week of the trial and I'd cross-examined the man who was at the start of it all. They were happy to accept yeah. a plea to manslaughter and they dropped the murder. I took the view that he wasn't guilty even of manslaughter. The judge took a different view and said he may have been allowed to carry a knife. He wasn't allowed to produce it. And I thought, there's not much point, actually, in carrying it. You can't produce it. And it was court <laughs> one at the Old Bailey. It was the most senior high court judge in the hierarchy at the time. He was yeah. the number one. And I said to the defendant, I think the judge is wrong. We will win at the court of appeal, but plead guilty to manslaughter. And as you know, Craig, once you've started with a jury, it's the jury have to return the verdict. And so the clerk of the court yeah. looked at the, I suppose, surprised man who was sitting in the front row on the right and said, you, sir, act as foreman. He'd been rearranged. They heard him plead guilty and they said, you find him not guilty of murder and you, you've heard him plead to manslaughter. You find him guilty of manslaughter. And he looked around the foreman and he said to the very surprised judge, he said, can we go out and discuss it? And the judge says, well, certainly you can if you wish, but there's nothing to decide. And they went out, and over the course of the next hour, they returned a few times, each time the clerk, giving them the direction with greater and greater emphasis, you do find him guilty of manslaughter. And meanwhile, in the public gallery, the poor lady who lost her husband called out, I forget their names, called out, I've, less, I've, I've lost Craig. I don't want to lose Michael now and burst into tears, meaning she didn't want to lose her brother-in-law and burst into tears. And it was an amazing yeah. moment because we rehash emotions, we relive events, but here it was the absolute despair <laughs> of this woman going through the possibility that her brother-in-law, who tragically and accidentally, obviously, had killed her husband, was going yeah. to go to prison. And anyway, at the end of the hour, and the last time, with the fullest emphasis that the clerk could give, they still want to convict. In fact, the words of the foreman was, the verdict of this jury, right, whether it be right or wrong, right, is not guilty. The jury were discharged from giving a verdict. The judge wouldn't accept it. And indeed, he discharged them from ever serving on a jury again for life. At which point, I'm afraid, they very discourteously <laughs> laughed toward them. But what, a, what an amazing opportunity. So I can't guarantee that anyone starting out now will get a case like that. But wonderful if they do. No, that's a it was one in, once in a lifetime type of, of type of case. Goodness me, it's um, what a story. So, what what what's next for uh, Michael Will? Have I? QC? I can't remember. Have I yet mentioned the case of Mark Blanco? Maybe I did. If not, I do it now. Mark Blanco, Lord. yeah, died after making the mistake of standing too close, this is just the beginning of the offence, stand too close to the singer Pete yeah. Doherty and having been a nuisance to Pete Doherty <laughs> wanting Doherty to give publicity to an amateur dramatics performance that Mark was going to be in, he was thrown out of the flat by his Doherty's mind. I can say these things because there was a coroner's inquest and this is all um, public, yeah. it's given in public. Sadly no trial yet, let alone a conviction. Having been thrown out of the flats, you can see on YouTube a devastating clip of Mark looking in his pockets, tapping his pockets as if he's left something. 
that was on CCTV. He came back into the house, no doubt, to be greeted by someone who'd been at this. It was a drug gathering who must have punched him to unconsciousness yeah. because Mark's body then comes over the balcony within a minute of his returning to the flats. It's almost as if someone came out from the group in the flat and said, oh, not you again. He was unconscious when he went over. He didn't try to protect himself. Yeah. And the clip that you really want to see, this is... 14 years I've been working for his mother and one day we'll get justice. Obviously, I work there pro bono. It's good for the soul and it's a wonderful cause anyway. And the clip you want to see is Doherty leaves the flat. He glances down at the body of the dying Mark Blanco on the cold streets in the middle of the night. He steps over it and he goes off to keep an urgent appointment to smash up a hotel room that night. And that's no more progress than that. Bit by bit, we establish that he was unconscious. He came over the balcony. At the coroner's inquest, they wanted a a suicide verdict, or the police officer said he was making a dramatic gesture, trying to leap from balcony to balcony. Well, that wasn't real life, and there's plenty of real life in what we do. And welcome anyone who wants to come to the criminal bar, however tough it is in early years. To have causes is is great. And pro bono, as I said, is good for the soul. And I want people to do it. Obviously, they're the good things. I have my pet hates as yeah. well. We've got time for any of them. Go Advocates do not flirt <laughs> with the jury. I hate it. There are some people who are so <laughs> impressed by their own cross-examination or their performance. You can almost see their hands going out. And they look at the jury and we're waiting for applause. And once I had the Pope and did it so much that within my speech, I did mention it, that Mr. X from time to time may have thought he made a good point. I say that because he looked at you as if he was waiting for applause. He paused. He paused for your applause and it didn't come. And quite right, it didn't come because it was a bad point he made. That's it. And one more, one more for the beginners. Nice one to know. When it's yeah. your turn to make a speech and on a shorter scale when it's your turn to cross-examination take your time it's your call yeah. for a speech pour yourself a drink not a relaxing drink as you might do at home but no doubt in front of you you've got a <laughs> bottle of water you've got a glass and the judge says yes mr smith yeah stand up look at the jury open that bottle in front of them it means you're in control not only pour the drink Drink it, yeah. not of course looking nervous that you need a drink, and then pour another bit of drink and <laughs> then say something to them. And it's telling them you are the person in control, as of course you are. <laughs> That's um, what, what wonderful uh, tips and, and insights from, from definitely um, what one of the best uh, advocates of the past. 30, 45 years in the criminal courts. I mean, it's been an absolute pleasure, um, Michael, and thank you very much for agreeing to, to do this. I know you're um, a very busy man. You, you're very sought after uh, as an advocate, and you've agreed to um, take your time today to, to, to speak to me and uh, to take part in this, this podcast, which is a, a personal project of mine, and I hope to um, inspire 
perhaps some of those that are interested in I, criminal law to, to take. I think you, you will. On, it's it's been really and... nice um, speaking to you and you will inspire others with your guests and with your own approach as well. Thank you. Well, that was part two of my interview with Michael Walkind QC. Part three will be released in a couple of weeks' time, and that will consist of me dissecting some of the tips and insights Michael has given us. Join me next week to hear from Chris Daw QC. He gives some great insights and tips. This has been the trial. I'm Craig McKenzie. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Also available on YouTube. If you want to check out my new website, it's www.advocatesplaybook.com. Thank you.